Good morning, everyone. Uh, greetings on the Lord's Day, uh, the first Lord's Day of May 2020. Um, I would say it's great to be with you, um, but I uh, am not with you uh, in person, but look forward to that day uh, very soon, and hopefully that should be coming uh, in the next few weeks. Um, but I hope you can um, join us today at 4.30 for our weekly time of prayer, uh, followed by a discussion of the uh, class, uh, Who is the Holy Spirit? Again, at 4.30 today, uh, we're going to join one another uh, online to pray with and for one another and the church. Um, well, uh, we are here uh, at week number seven in our series, Our Only Comfort. Uh, today is Rest Assured. And as we um, use the Heidelberg Catechism's uh, first question and answer uh, to guide us and lead us to God's word, let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing upon our time together. Uh, join me in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for not leaving us on our own, but giving us your word and spirit. Father, we pray that you would um, use your Holy Spirit to open our um, uh, minds to understand uh, your word, your truth, and uh, change our hearts uh, more and more to embrace the truth and live it out. Father, we thank you for your word and spirit. Uh, may they be an anchor uh, for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Indeed, uh, we're seeing that the uh, first question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism is orienting us to and anchoring us in God's word. Um, question number one, uh, ask a very important and essential question. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only security, your only confidence? Um, uh, even this week, uh, this question is being asked and answered in one way or another. Uh, maybe not directly, but indirectly. We're all um, living out of what is our security, what is our comfort. We're all turning back to that. And uh, in many ways, I'm thankful for the difficulty uh, that we're in because it, it, it forces us to to answer that question. What is our security? What is our comfort? What is our hope? Now, in organizing and summarizing the teaching of God's word, the Heidelberg Catechism provides a clear answer to that question, that question as to what is our only comfort in life and death that's concise and comprehensive. Let's listen to that answer once again. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Even though these pronouns are in the first person, uh, in other words, we need to take this answer personally. It's asking, what is my only comfort? 
And yet we also, as we've been seeing, need to take it corporately. What is our only comfort? What is your only comfort? It's that you belong to Jesus. Here's the catechism in nine words. What is my only comfort? I belong to Jesus. Now, we could end there, but that's not where the answer ends because more needs to be said and is said. Notice how the answer speaks of Jesus Christ being my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We see in the catechism's answer aspects of the person and work of Jesus. First of all, he is faithful. He will not change. He cannot change. What he begins, he finishes. What he promises, he keeps. He is faithful and he saves. He saves his his primary work. He came to seek and save that which is lost. We see in the catechism's answer what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus continues to do for us. What has he already done? He's fully paid for our sins, and he has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me. He continues to watch over us. We are watched over personally. Now, last week, we explored the summary statement. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. We saw that when our cynicism, in other words, do we really believe this? We saw that when our cynicism runs into this divine conspiracy, that all things must work together, you know what's produced? Confidence. When our cynicism runs smack into this divine conspiracy, confidence is produced. There's a God-produced joy and confidence in the life of a Christian that neither the deepest trouble can extinguish. And that confidence, that joy can overcome the greatest grief. Well, today and next week, we're going to focus our attention on the last section of the answer. Today, we're going to look at because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. Now, this is a statement of of one aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit, assurance of eternal life. And we're going to explore this statement Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. We're going to explore this statement by asking three questions. A what question, a why question, and a how question. What is eternal life? Why do we need the assurance of it? And how do we obtain the assurance of it? We'll briefly address the first two questions and spend most of our time on the third. First, what is eternal life? It's a gift. And what's your relationship with a gift? You receive a gift. You don't achieve a gift. So it's important to remember, first of all, that eternal life is a gift. It's not earned by our work or our effort. All three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
um, have a situation where a teacher of the law um, comes up to Jesus and asks this question, what good must I do to have eternal life? Or what must I do to inherit, in, inherit eternal life? Jesus uh, pretty much has one answer to this question, and it's all throughout the gospel accounts, in particular in the gospel according to John. You know, last week we looked at probably the second most well-known verse in all of Scripture, Romans 8, 28. Today, we've got to touch on briefly probably the most well-known Scripture, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now here's an aspect of the giving of the Son, the believing in the Son, resulting in eternal life. In John 10, when Jesus is speaking of himself being the, the good shepherd, he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Did you hear that? It really couldn't be clearer than that. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. Who are those? His sheep, those who hear his voice, those who follow him. He says, I give them eternal life, not they have earned eternal life. They have merited eternal life. But simply, I give them eternal life. Now this gift, this gift is received through faith. This gift is received by believing. Another time, Jesus says it unmistakably. John six forty seven. whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. So it's a gift. It's a gift that's received through faith by believing. Now eternal life, in one sense, it's a quantity of life. Jesus, at the time of Lazarus' death, speaks to Martha and says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is speaking of a life that goes through death and extends beyond death. So there is a quantity of life when it comes to eternal life. It's unending. But I want to make this observation, you know, a bad life that never ended would be bad. And so while it is a life that never ends, it's much more than that. It's a life that's in full fellowship with God, in a restored relationship with God. You see, more than a quantity of life, it is a quality of life. It is the knowledge of a person and a relationship to a person. We see that no more clearly when Jesus speaks these words. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What a great definition of eternal life. The knowing 
the one true and living God, knowing Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Here is conscious enjoyment of fellowship with God, not just after death, but here and now. So those are just some brief words about eternal life as we see from the scriptures. But let's move on from asking the what to asking the why. Why do we need assurance of eternal life? Um, I want you to look at um, the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one again. Um, You know, the answer could have ended with that great summary statement, all things must work together for my salvation, but, but it continues. It continues to speak of assurance, and as we'll see next week, of sanctification, of growth in grace, of, of obedience to God, of, of change, a life of change. But here, in the answer, is assurance. Why do we need this assurance of eternal life? Well, it, of course, it's because life is difficult and hard. We are living in a sinful and fallen world. There is sin outside of us. There is still sin in us. Jesus makes it really clear when he speaks to his disciples uh, right before his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have trouble. Life is hard. Life is difficult. We need the assurance that we're going to make it through it. And eternal life just by itself speaks of making it through it, through the difficulty, through the trouble. So there's this general statement that the world, there will be trouble, but there's also just specific threats to our conscious enjoyment and recognition of eternal life. It's the man who comes to Jesus with his son who is ill, and he says again, I believe, help my unbelief. Take a moment right now and just ask yourself, where in your life can you make that statement, that prayer, that cry? That yes, you believe, but right now you don't believe. Until we're fully and finally in the presence of the Lord, we're going to battle to one degree or another, unbelief. And yet Jesus continues to call us to himself. So why do we need assurance of eternal life? Well, it's because life is difficult, life is hard, but also because the assurance of eternal life helps us persevere. We are assured of the outcome. You know, one of the benedictions that we use is From Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And we all know that according to scripture, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is certainty. Hope is surety. Hope is guaranteed. In 1 Peter Chapter 1, Peter writes to believers uh, to say that they have an inheritance. They have an inheritance that waits for them, that will neither fade, it won't diminish. It's, It's preserved for them. He knows the suffering, the difficulty that believers are going to go through, and he wants them to be assured 
through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they have a living hope, that they have an inheritance that waits them. I'll never forget the day I started uh, one of my courses in seminary on the book of Revelation, taught by a, a theologian, probably one of the smartest men uh, with a PhD in uh, mathematics, PhD in theology, um, brilliant man. And, and at the very beginning of the, his class on the book of Revelation, he threw up a PowerPoint slide and said, class, this is the message of the book of Revelation. God wins. God wins. And, and, and because of that sure victory, that sure outcome, even something like our eternal life, our eternal security, our, our hope, it, it's guaranteed. It, it, it's, it's like, again, watching the basketball game or the football game or whatever game on tape after the fact. You know the outcome. Now, we've explored just briefly the what and the why, but let's now ask the how question. If you do have your Bibles, please have them out and available and turning to 1 John 5 as well as uh, Romans 8. 1 John 5 as well as Romans 8. Now, when, I, when we begin just to talk about how we obtain um, assurance of eternal life, uh, I want to remind us about a great chapter, another neglected chapter in our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, of the assurance of grace and salvation. And I just want to read one or two sentences from the third paragraph. Um, and it says this, This infallible assurance does not belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be partaker of it, yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given of him, given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation, in the right use of the ordinary means, attain thereunto. And I think that's one reason why the, um, the catechism could have stopped right after that statement that that um, all things must work together for my salvation. But it goes on because this assurance is not of the essence of faith, but it comes along with faith. So how do we get assurance? It's the same way we get eternal life in the first place, by receiving the gift and believing the promise. We're going to look for a few moments at, at 1 John 5. And, and remember, John writes his letter that you may know. Remember, he writes his gospel that you may, uh, these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And he writes his first letter to those who do believe that they would know that they have eternal life. So in 1 John 5, we're going to see the testimony of the Holy Spirit. 
the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the unseen but powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit who testifies to the saving truth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, um, we see in Scripture, opens eyes, illumines minds, stirs the heart, inclines the will. The Holy Spirit bears witness through the Scriptures. Look with me at some of these verses. 1 John 5, speaking of uh, three witnesses, uh, the water, uh, the blood, uh, kind of the the beginning and end of Jesus' public ministry, his, his baptism and his death. But we read, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. He goes on in verse 9, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And we read, what is this testimony? We read in verse 11, and this is the testimony. That is the testimony that the Spirit gives. That God gave us eternal life. There it is again. The gift of eternal life. And this life is in His Son. It's in knowing the Son. Whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life being shorthand for eternal life. And then in verse 13, he caps it off. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. So there's the testimony of the Spirit, the Spirit whose function as we read in John 15 as Jesus teaches his disciples is to bear witness about him. And if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to just begin reading in verse 9 of Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And then we go on to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen to verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also, that we may also be glorified with him. Did you hear that? Here is this doctrine of adoption. Here is this recognition that through faith in Jesus, we are sons of God. 
entitled to every benefit. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? We are children of God. It's interesting, early in that passage I read were these words, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Do you hear the language of the catechism? I belong to Jesus Christ. And here's a a scriptural basis for that. Now, why is the question is being asked, how do we obtain the assurance of eternal life? How can we uh, make that statement, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life? How? Well, it's to keep doing what we've done from the beginning. It's to continue to remind ourselves, to rehearse ourselves, to repeat. You know, the, the, the summary of the gospel Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus died, was buried, was raised from the dead, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And thus far in our study in Acts, what have we seen? The preaching, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the main truths of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves to rehearse over and over again, to repeat. John Newton, you remember, said he had learned two lessons by the end of his life, that he was a miserable sinner and that Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. I mean, what, what a great summary. What a great two lessons to remember. And, and you see in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, What we've seen thus far, that I am not my own, all the way down to all things must work together for my salvation. We repeat it. We rehearse it. We remind ourselves over and over and over again. Uh, Years ago, I heard a great definition of preaching, reminding us what we already know. Reminding us what we already know. And so one of the chief means of being assured of our salvation is reminding ourselves that through faith in the promises of God that we belong body and soul. We belong in life and in death, not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've asked three questions. What is eternal life? Why do we need to be assured of it? And how do we get assurance? How do we obtain assurance? But I think there's one more question that needs to be asked and we all need to answer. And that is the who question. Who is assured of eternal life? Put very simply in the words of the catechism answer, those who belong to Jesus. Those who belong to not to themselves, those who don't belong to the world, but those who belong to Jesus. Interestingly, in the very first few verses of Romans, Paul writes these words in verse 4. 
including you who are called to belong to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Called to faith, called to salvation, and here Paul says, called to belong to Jesus. We sang this a few weeks ago when we sang, I belong to Jesus. Verse four is this, I belong to Jesus. He has died for me. I am his and he is mine through eternity, now and forever. I belong to Jesus because I belong to Jesus. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. Mysterious? Yes. Real? Yes. And you see, those who belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit assures them that they belong to Jesus, assures them that they have eternal life. I'd like to end with the words from the hymn that we sing every now and then, Thy mercy, my God. And the last verse, I think, ties it all together in terms of the Holy Spirit being a seal, a guarantee, a, 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 the surety of this promise of eternal life. And these words are this, Great Father of mercies, thy goodness I own, and the covenant love of thy crucified Son. All praise to the Spirit, whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. Did you hear that? It's that whisper. It's that eternal, internal witness of the Spirit, bearing witness that we are God's children. My friends, praise God. May we praise God for not only doing the work, but to continuing to let us know that he has done everything we need to be in a right and restored relationship with him. My friends, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus, rest assured that you belong to him and that you have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day ahead when we will no longer have to walk by faith, but instead can walk, can live by sight. So Father, we pray now in this difficult, in this world of difficulty and hardship, of trials and tribulation and trouble. Father, we do believe. Would you help our unbelief? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you enable us in ways big and small to be assured of salvation, to be um, at rest, to rest assured of your love for us, to rest assured of eternal and everlasting life. Oh, Father, we thank you that you not only have done the work for us through Christ, but you continue to this day to remind us of his 
finished work and of his ongoing work interceding at your right hand. We give you thanks and praise, Father, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.